and welcome to your maiden edition of This is Ibrox for 2021. My name is Scott Patterson and you're very welcome. We are joined on the pod this week by regular podders Tommy McIntyre and Willie Boyd. Gentlemen, hello. Uh, very happy new year to you. Yeah, 2021. Let's uh, let's hope it's slightly better than the last 12 months. Football notwithstanding, obviously. <laughs> Hi, Willie. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, managed to survive walking about nice all day, so it's all good. <laughs> there we go. So very pleased um, to to welcome onto the the pod. As I say, the first one for 2021. Uh, a very special guest, Gordon Smith, joins us on the pod. Hi, Gordon. How are you doing? I'm fine, Scott. Good evening, and good evening to Willie and Tommy as well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for giving us the time. Pleasure, no problem at all. Happy to do it. So we should add before we go on, this week's pod is brought to you by our good friends at The Insurance Practice who are now back at work, as we all are, and are contactable on 01202 and available via email admin at theinsurancepractice.co.uk. Practice that twice before we started. So... I'm going to speak a little bit about a big game at the weekend. Um, I, I think it's important to say that uh, to have the opportunity, Tommy, to go 19 points clear, albeit with the other mob having three games in hand, which we all know about, um, it's a huge, huge bonus to, to go into the year with that victory, isn't it? It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've spoken about this before, which is this is the third iteration of Steven Gerrard's Rangers team. And it's getting to that apex point where everything's been pushed towards having a real go at the title, not falling away, managing that consistency, managing the dressing room and getting the performances. Yeah, we weren't great on the day. Got three points and kept a clean sheet. And that's worth noting that we've kept bedrock of clean sheets, you know, um, almost you know, consistently, shall we say, set records for it. So, yeah, if you start, start the new year with that type of victory and that type of psychological victory over your rivals... That's only a good thing, and I'll take points on the table as opposed to games in hand every day of the week. Indeed. Willie, 30 minutes into the, the first half, what were you thinking? Were we lucky still to be in the tie at that point, did you reckon? Um, I think with some exceptional goalkeeping, I think we were, you know, pretty secure. I mean, McGregor made a really good early first save with Edward at the start. Yeah, kind of double save, I know he was offside in the second one, but they two kind of set him up for the rest of the game, I felt, particularly with Graffis's. I uh, thought it was, you know, destined for a top corner. I don't really know how he got there, but it was, it was a world-class stop. Was cool. Sorry, I'll come to you next. What, what did you, what did you make of the, the first half performance by Rangers at the weekend? I think I, I was very disappointed in it because I just felt that in the, the games that Rangers had played, think back to the last three games, including the defeat in the League Cup finals, Rangers totally outplayed Celtic in those games. And that's why I get into it, because of the, the run Rangers were in, I felt that it would definitely be a situation where Rangers, if they played at their best. Having said that, I, I did feel, and I put in my column in the paper on Saturday morning, I said Rangers are favourites, but in fairness, they've, they've not been playing that well of late. Even though they've been winning games, the run, that their form has not been that good. They've been, they've been getting the winning goal at, at times, but I, I felt that they were poor in the first half, and I was disappointed in it. I felt especially the, the front three, who I, I just felt didn't really contribute very much at all, and that was a bit, that was a disappointment because the three talented players, and yet they weren't really doing it enough. I didn't think so. Nil uh, nil at half time. I was actually quite pleased with the with the scoreline at half time, and it was down, obviously down to Alan McGregor had two great saves as, a, as the guys were saying there. Uh, but you know that's what he does. That's his job in, in a way to do that. But that was the thing. Rangers have got a great defensive record at the moment, so I did feel. They have to improve things at half time. Stephen Gerrard has to turn things around, and I think he did. Tommy, the at half time, I think that of the of the front three, Kent Morelos and Roof, I actually felt Roof's movement was probably the biggest threat we were doing up front at that point. It was a bit of a surprise to see him come off, and I, I, I've spoke about um, off camera our WhatsApp group. We were quite surprised that he was the guy who was being withdrawn, albeit we since found out he had an injury. The introduction of Yanis Hadji, and I have to say, I feel over the, the Christmas and New Year break, indeed, he's been fantastic, but he really changed the game in our favour when he came on. He, he did, and, and you're right, and I, as Gordon was saying there as well, it's, it's worth reiterating, uh, getting in at now now. I think everybody took a little breath and went, that's, pr that's a pretty big 45 now now. I think if they said they would have scored, it would have been a slightly different type of yeah. scenario. Getting in was actually a bit of a win for us. 
And then, yeah, as you said, you were expecting Roof's intelligence, which has been on show the last couple of games as well. Mariolis's history in the game, shall we say, although he always affects something, he always does something, and we'll speak about that in a minute. But also, um, I think Stephen Gerrard had mentioned after the game that the quad issue uh, came out roof, so it kind of played into his hands, to use his words. But yeah, Hadji, across the festive festive period, across the Christmas New Year period, and I'm thinking Motherwell, Hibs, St Mirren, even in the Cup game as well, where he had a small cameo but played really well. His hungers never went away. Yes, Hadji, we spoke about this. He yeah. always goes for the ball, he always tries. He's not been put off. He seems as though he's getting a little bit cuter with the physical side of the game in Scotland as well. You know, go down, get your get your free kicks, yeah, etc. Absolutely. He's showing off, um, you know, players as well. He did make a big contribution to it. He's he's finding gaps in there. And it'd be interesting, I know the, the guys will have their own opinions, you know, once you, you speak to, to the both of them as well. It'd be interesting to see, as Gordon was saying there, the front three in the first 45 were disappointing. I think... For me as well, the midfield was disappointing as part of that. I don't think the movement was there from the front three. I also don't think some of the running beyond or using the right b- balls, so to speak, to get in behind Celtic in the first 45 was there from the midfield. I think we, we missed a, an Arfield type of character. But it'll be interesting to hear those other opinions. But yeah, uh, Hadji made a really big impact. Gordon, Tommy um, refers to the, the midfield there. Um, I particularly felt in the second half, and we've said this, I, I, I feel, for weeks now on This Is Ibrox. Um, Stephen Davis was was absolutely phenomenal in the second 45, I felt. Yeah, I agree. I think he's top class. I think the only the, the sad thing about Stephen Davis is just the fact he's in the, what you would say, the autumn or the winter of his career, <laughs> because he's a, he's a tremendous player. And he's one of the ones that knows what success at Rangers is like. I mean, there are two players that played at the weekend there, and, and both of them, uh, outstanding players for Rangers, are the two guys that have actually won things in the past. They know what it's all about, McGregor and Davis. But I think that I think Davis played really well, and I think I think we we'll missed Jack a bit. I I felt I felt the big the big point would be I did this in my column as well to say that Stephen Gerrard would have a big decision to make on Saturday about the midfield, whether it would be he would play Aribo or play Zunga. Now. If he played Zungo, then that's more of a defensive because Celtic were playing with a, they played with a diamond shaped midfield and they've been in form of late. They have been playing very well, McGregor, Christie, you know, and so and and, and obviously um, you know they've got a bit of skill going forward. And what I'm saying was that because of that. After they closed Rangers down, they won the ball off Rangers quite often. So it was a tough decision, but I think he went with a rebo because he wanted to be positive, Stephen Gerrard. He wanted to pick a team more, like a, a, a match-winning team, as opposed yeah. to a team being very, very defensive because Rangers were the home team and all that sort of thing. So tactically, it didn't quite work out in the first half, but I think as things went on the second half, there's no doubt the ordering off was a major factor. Like we beat on getting sent off, it, it was actually a, a strong factor for Rangers in that respect. That down to ten men, you just thought at worst. Now I, I, watching the game, I think at worst it's, it's going to be a draw. At yeah. worst, so I, I, I did feel that we could go on and win the game when that ordering off happened. So, Gordon, before we move on to the the, the ordering off, I'm just going to stay with you because you brought up the importance of of Stephen Davis and Alan McGregor and their experience of of having winners medals at home. Um, how important do you think those two guys and those two voices in particular are going to be between now and May? I think they'll be major because I think that they're, they're two guys. Stephen Gerrard's got a, a great winning mentality as well as a manager, Gary McCarthy too, but you need players in that dressing room that know what it's all about, that, that, that won things before and won things with Rangers. And they're the two players who have a record of it. And I think that they have to be the guys that say, you know, when you're winning the league, you don't always play well every week. And that's, that's a, a crucial aspect of here. I've said they've not been playing well, very well in recent games. They didn't play very well on Saturday, but that is not the point. And league-winning teams are teams who are consistently getting results. And, and it's a major aspect to, to be winning when you're not playing well because the form does turn around. You know, all of a sudden, Rangers are going to run and, and start beating people. And therefore, they can take the league away from Celtic totally. So it's very important you've got these two guys in the dressing room that know what a, a winning mentality to win a league championship is all about. Willie, the, the, the sending off, I, I think everyone agrees largely 
change the the direction of the game as these things tend to do. Uh, zero debate. It was absolutely a red card. I'm sure you agree. No, absolutely. I thought it was. It was a, a stonewall red card. To be honest, I don't think. I thought Morelos 100 was having the goal scoring opportunity. I don't really understand anybody else having any other opinion, but I would say that. Um, I also think you know Morelos's play to get you know um, beat on so tight to him. That was what he was doing so well. You know, for the summer to the winter of 2019, he was doing that so well, turning turning these players as if they weren't even there. Yeah. And uh, you know that's hopefully. You know, we see that coming back at his game, starts to add the goals, you know, because we, we're, we're kind of maybe needing that, you know, him chipping in with a few more goals. Tommy, absolutely a red, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no two ways about it, although it was really nice to see some of the, um, uh, it's not often you see Pythagoras and angles into but how you know if a, if a defender's travelling at this <laughs> angle at this distance and this speed, can they break a shot getting off? Yeah, listen, it's a goal scoring opportunity. You know, you could maybe have a, a a conversation about the technicalities. I think we've maybe lost Gordon there. Um, come back. The technicalities of um, you know what's a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. Well, the fact of the matter is, Alfredo Morelos doesn't have to break his stride. He's he's passed near Beaton. He's getting into the box and he's getting the shot away before Ayer can get near to him. It's a straight red card. There is no two parts to that debate. It's straight red. God, I want to speak to you about another instant in the game. And, and you've played the game, so you perhaps understand um, certainly what us mere mortals don't. Um, there was a moment in the second half when um, Celtic Shane Duffy nailed Ryan Kent. Um, do you think if Bobby Madden hadn't sent off Beaton shortly before that, he would have sent off Duffy for that tackle. Yes, I do actually. I think that was a big factor. <clears throat> he didn't want to be sending off another Celtic player so quickly yeah. and having a big effect in the game because that, people would say, oh, he, he was winning the game. You know, it's like when a referee, you're accused of bias if you just happen to give a, a decision which uh, doesn't suit one side of the old firm or the other. Yeah. So I think that, that was I think that was the reason he decided to make it yellow. I do. Tommy, I assume you agree. We've got. I, I'm. I'm in the, absolutely the same camp as Gordon. I, I'm sure if he hadn't sent off Beaton, Duffy would have went. Uh, yeah, and I'm not going to give Duffy any credit for saying that he's smart enough to know that, and that's why he <laughs> won. I don't think that applies to the particular defender or the way that he's playing. Yeah, I, well, Gordon knows the the game and the the, the behaviours of referees a lot better than any of us. But it is. It's a pressurised situation. Madden knows that as soon as he's flashed the first red. Then it's you know he's going to be the he's going to be the headlines no matter really what happens after that and there's going to be a lot of anxious eyes cast towards him and his family on social media and all that type of stuff. So these guys are human. You know none of them set out to make you know bad decisions or affect games negatively. I don't believe that about any referee. But they're human beings. So as Gordon says in the back of his mind, am I going for two of them? Middle of the park, I can safely give a yellow and I can write that one off. Let's all move on. That's where it is, but it should have been a red. It's uh, it's a nasty challenge. Absolutely, Willie. Before we we cover Gordon's career a little bit at Ibrox, I want to speak about Stephen Gerrard, who um, was very quick to use the H word. He said humble uh, again in his in his post match stuff. He is doing very very hard and doing very very well to keep us all firmly feet on the ground type stuff. But he must know that we're in a very very good position going into this final half of the season now. No, absolutely. I think uh, you just try to get that message dumped into the, the players, you know, for now to the end of the season. We just need to kind of take it as it comes, one game at a time. Nothing's won yet. Nothing's handed out now. So, just need to keep, keep humble, as he's been saying, and keep gathering these wins, no matter how we're doing it now. Indeed. If I could just jump in very quickly there, that would work a lot better coming from Scott, the host here, if that isn't another five on the back of your uh, arm here on your top. All right, okay, it's 56, it's not 55, right, that's fine. <laughs> that's what they call forward thinking. Always <laughs> <laughs> one step ahead of the iteration. <laughs> God, I, I want to speak to you now. You've been lucky enough to, to, to do what we all dreamed of doing it as, as we were growing up. Some of us are still growing up. I'm looking at you, Tommy. Um, you, you've had the pleasure of, of playing at Ibrox, playing for Rangers. Let us know a little bit about um, how that felt as, as, as you were growing up, if you like. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of times that people say to me about my time at Rangers, but I, I, it's not what I did for Rangers that really I, I like to concentrate on myself. It's what Rangers did for me in terms of, uh, let me, I realised my ambition 
to go and play there. And it was fantastic because I, I had the chance to sign for Rangers when I was 14 uh, and Celtic, by the way. My dad said, you're going to come on. And I said, why? And he said, because you've got more of a chance there. And if you break through, they'll, they'll come back for you. Yeah. So that, that was my dad's advice, and it was good advice because I was in the command at first team at 17. I don't think I would have been in the Rangers team at, at 17. And then when Jock Wallace bought me uh, in 1977, um, I was shocked when he shook my hand afterwards and said, welcome to the club, Gordon. That's taken a while. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I've been trying to sign you for the last four years. Do you not know? <laughs> and I said, no. He says, I've been in twice a year for the last four years trying to buy you. And, and then I said to him, well, I said... To be honest with you, I'm play, I was playing left winger for Comana. I said, you've just signed uh, David Cooper. That's why I was wondering why you're signing me. And he goes, no, I'm not playing you. When I first saw you playing, you were playing middle and midfield. And that's where you're going to play for us. You're going to play in the middle and midfield because I think you can get forward and score goals from there. And that's uh, and he, he said something that was quite interesting to me. He said, you're the last piece of the jigsaw. That's wow. what he actually said. And I was like, well, I'm delighted to come here anyway. Didn't even look at what money I was on or anything. I just signed the contract because Absolutely. the money didn't matter. It didn't matter to me one bit. It was just a, a dream come true. You mentioned David Cooper there, and I think we've had various um, ex-players on on the on the pod that have spoke about Cooper and, and playing alongside him. Your own personal thoughts of David Cooper? Uh, Cooper was brilliant. He was he was so talented. He, he just was uh, you know he was all left foot, but he could do anything. Well, he didn't have to use his right foot at all. He had great vision. What I what I found out quite quickly actually was that Coop liked to have these two or three little touches on the ball when the ball came to him. So what happened? I used to do was I'd wait, and because he did two or three little touches, he dragged people defenders in close to him, and because he had so much ability, he held it. Then I made my run, and and what happened was I didn't have to even shout. Coop saw me, and he would pl- he would play the ball into me as I ran. So I always let him have these two or three wee touches first, and then I went, and then Coop just played me in. And through and things like that, so it was it was great to play with. I was very friendly with him because Coop. Uh, I don't know if it's ever came out, but Coop Brighton tried to sign the two of us. To be honest with you, right. and Alan Mullery, Alan Mullery, the Brighton manager, said, "I tried to sign you." First time he saw me play, Alan Mullery, uh, I scored two goals against West Ham, and, and Coop made the two goals. And he said he tried to buy the two of us, but Rangers said he would only sell one of us. And I, and he said, "I'm going for you." And I said to him, Alan Mullery, "You've signed the wrong one then." <laughs> uh, <same team>. <laughs> <laughs> I because Coop was brilliant. So uh, that was it. Coop, Coop was uh, could have been with me in Brighton. <laughs> so all joking aside, Gordon, we 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 know a lot about how uh, David Cooper famously said that he he played for the team he loved. Do you think if the opportunity came at that point for him to leave Rangers, do you think it, it would have been something he would have considered? I don't know if he would have as well. I think that he, you know, to a certain degree, he was a little bit myself. We weren't really big favourites with John Gregg who was okay. the manager at the time. So Coop and I were in the same sort of position where at times he was quite hard on us and he, he left us out of the team now and again and that. So Coop um, might have, he might have considered that if, if the offer had come up. I don't know if he would have, but he, he was like myself though. I, I, I went, I was forced to go and all that sort of thing. But Coop, if he'd been forced to go, there's nothing else you can do about it. You just have to go. But Coop, uh, Coop loved playing for Rangers the same as me. Gordon Teller, sorry Tommy. I was just wondering if I could dial the clock back just, just a second there. We recently had uh, Derek Johnson on as well, and I'm always interested in this, particularly what you're saying there. You know, it's been a dream to play for Rangers. You finally get in the door, the manager speaks to you that he's been chasing you for so long. I'm really interested how, going back to Stephen Gerrard there, how you stay humble and then focus on your football when you're in the door of where you want to be. Is it a different sort of mentality to go to, like, let's say, you know, another club that's out, you know, away from Rangers where the pressures are maybe slightly different to what you've uh, got in your mind? How did well, you there was, the thing is, Tommy, there was more pressure on it, right? But I always felt that no matter who I was playing with, I mean, I, I didn't try any more for Rangers than I tried for Kilmarnock or I tried for Brighton or Man City. That's to be honest with you, because I always gave my best. I just wanted to, to do my best whoever I was playing for. But the difference with Rangers was I was doing my best for the team that I supported. And also the fact was that I was actually, you know, uh, you know, the pressure was on there. You were expected to win things as well, which made it a little bit more difficult. But nevertheless, as I say, it was a dream to be there. And you know that, you know, when you go to Rangers as well, that you are expected to be able to achieve things. And that's, that's something you have to live with. And it was great because, as I say, it was just, just to play for the club and be part of it and be one of the players at the club it meant everything to me so although there was a, that kind of degree of pressure it was where I wanted to be 
Gordon, you satisfied the, the, the dream of, of playing for the club. I, I think the, the very next thing after that would be scoring the winner in a cup final against Celtic. Um, talk us through that, that afternoon. Well, it was great because, I mean, if you look at back at the game, uh, I made the first goal that day for Coop. Coop. Coop and I were the new players in the team. Three of us was Bobby Russell and myself, and Bobby Russell couldn't play in that game. Bobby was actually injured. Right. So his first season at the club, he didn't play in that final. That was the first final we had. So Coop and I uh, played, and then I made the first goal. Coop scored it. Then Celtic equalised. Johannes Edwardson equalised. We went into extra time, and it was about a minute or two to go when I had the chance. I was involved in the, in the move to start with. And then when Alec Miller put the cross in, Peter Latchford got above Alec McDonald, punched it, and I headed the ball in when it broke out to me. And, and it was a great thrill. To see when, the, when the, the players were all over me and when the final also blew and I've said this before as well uh, I, I got injured after the game Jock Wallace hugged me so much around my neck <laughs> that I, I felt I'd have to get some treatment on it you know he was like he, he grabbed me and I was like oh wait a minute here. And, and he was just he was enthralled by it and I think it was because you know me and Coop were the, the signings he made that, that summer and, and we ended up scoring the goals against Celtic that, that won the cup so to score a goal in the last minute like that in an old firm final was was a great uh, moment for me. It was something I'll never forget. Gordon, there's very few people that actually play for the club who then go on to to hold a, a position within the corridors at Ibrox. The story in this case is um, is a bit unique and again because of the time when you were at the club. Obviously, 2012, you were um, director of football and there um, working yep. alongside Ali McCoist. Tell us a little bit more about about the. The time at the club then, it was obviously very much down and then further down, to be perfectly honest with you. Which, what can you recall from yeah. those experiences? I, I don't mind talking about it in respect because I went in there, uh, I actually had met uh, White, Craig White, and, and just, just by accident, and I had a chat with him and then he asked to meet me again. And I, and I said to him, you know, you should maybe have a director of football in the club because I said, what happens is a lot of the times the football situation, somebody has to be there to look overall at everything that goes on at a football club. And a lot of the clubs, although although it wasn't a big position in Scotland at the time, it's a position in Europe and down in England. And eventually he came back and said to me, would you come in and do the job? Now, I said, yeah, I I will. I'll come and do it then because that's what I felt. But I I regret it in a lot of ways for for two reasons. One was the fact that, you know, I, I didn't really get putting in my, my plans and all that. I did I did loads of reports on how the club should be restructured and changed in different positions like the scouting, the youth system and all that. And I, and I, did, I gave them to White and I kept saying, are you going to put these in? He goes, we'll get around to it, we'll get around to it. That's what he said. And I, I kept wondering what was going on. Then what happened was the fact, you know, I, I did realise then he wasn't really, wasn't really a football guy at all. He didn't really have football knowledge. He didn't have a football background. And I, and I thought that's a bit strange. He was just in a business sense. So when I, I did on two occasions, I didn't meet him that often, but on two occasions I did ask him um, as a club get into administration. We've heard that. And he goes, it depends on the big tax case, he said, on two occasions. Now, the big tax case wasn't settled at all when the club did go into administration. And it was a bit of a shock to him because I was the other day, he was, he was around giving a talk to people at Money Park, as it was called at that time, to, to explain to them that the, the club weren't going into administration. And between the two meetings he had, he got a phone call that took him away. And I found out from uh, Ali Russell, who was the, the chief operating officer, that actually the club were going, to, were going into administration. About a day, that was a Tuesday, I think it was. And about two days later, I just went to the, the people who came in, the administrators, and said, uh, goodbye, I'm away. You don't need me anymore. I'm leaving. They said, well, what about, we don't know about giving you a settlement. I said, I don't want a settlement. I says, I'm, I'm leaving this club right now. I don't, I'm not required to you and I'm away. So I do regret it to this day that I went in there on, on good pretense to go in there and, and help the club, but I, I wasn't able to do that and it was a bad time in terms of the club's history, so I do regret it. I think we I now... Think, uh, sorry, Tommy, on you go. My apologies, Scott. I just used to go back to that again. So I remember you getting appointed, actually, and I'm not just saying it because you're on the on the podcast, but I was quite excited because I thought it was a really forward-thinking move and, and it would it would really work well for Rangers, and it's disappointing to hear that you'd put all the work into these reports that now we know a little bit more about Craig White, you know, obviously yeah. went, went towards the shredder pretty pretty quickly and no doubt yes. to charge you a fee for it, right? But yeah. I, I'm just wondering what I think sometimes that the fans 
haven't been able to really get a picture of or a sense of, uh, and this is not you know finger pointing or anything like that because it was all oh. on the board. But when you were in the door, were there any signs or senses that standards were dropping, things weren't being picked up, it was all just a bit slipshod? Now that you look back, and I don't mean in the immediate moment because I know you'd have spoken about it, but yeah, when you look back, were there warnings things? I think there were. There were warnings there in a lot of respects in terms of how things were. But there was also a feeling, I could tell there was a bit of resentment about me being in there because he had appointed me. So I think there was a lot of people who were already in staff there weren't happy that he had taken over the club. And because I was an appointee of him, then I felt my position was under, you know, a bit of it's like question. It was being questioned, you know what I mean? So that from that point of view, then I felt I was a wee bit, out of things, and I wasn't in to do with him, Craig White's uh, leadership or role. It just had brought me in. I think he just brought me in because because I was ex Rangers and all that sort of thing. And I, I'd spoken to him, and he, and he seemed he seemed quite impressed because I said to him, "Here's here's how a director of football should run things." And I've still got a lot of thoughts on it in terms of you know you, you look at all the different departments. You don't run the departments, but you let the people know that you are in charge. But then you you're, you're analysing them. Do you know what I mean? And you're actually saying to them. You're actually trying to help. So you're looking at all the time. What I was trying to do was to say to him, what we need in every department is better practice until we get to the stage where we've got best practice in every department, which is scouting, uh, medical, youth team, everything like that. And that's uh, what was needing done in that aspect. There was, there was definitely faults there and definitely improvements that had to be made, Tommy. Yeah, I mean, just, just to kind of begin, I, I, you keep me right here. I completely understand that you're trying to do the strategic part of it and then filter yeah. that down through the departments and you know level them up, to use a phrase of the current moment. And yeah. then you're being hamstrung by maybe Craig White's not doing things correctly and you're being a bit of the, oh, that's his man. So, yes. to speak. so uh, there was a bit of a new guy's old, old, old model, so, so to speak, with nobody bridging yeah. that across, which is exactly yeah. what you would have done if you were allowed to. Yes, that's it. I mean, there was things that one of the things that came across to me was I remember we went to um, went to Germany. I joined the club when the club were in Germany for a pre-season trip, right? And I went out there, and the, the hotel we were in is a family hotel. We're staying in the mother and son who ran it, and I speak German because I played football in Austria and Switzerland, right? And I got quite friendly with them, gave them a card, and I always remember this. This was that was July, October. The chap uh, sent me uh, an email. And he said, eh, we haven't been paid yet for the hotel. And I was like, and I said, I said you're kidding. So I went to the, the finance people at Rangers and said, these people have not been paid yet in Germany, this hotel. And they said, oh, no, well, Mr. White eh, told us not to pay any, any bills at the moment. We're holding back on that. That was the first I was really aware. Wait a minute, what's going on here? So what I did was I said to him, uh, tell, tell Mr. White eh, I want this paid. I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is to be paid. So about a week later, I got an email from the chap uh, in Germany saying we're being paid. So uh, I didn't know who else was involved. That was the only one I was aware of because I knew the people. Do you know what I mean? But that was a sign that that was a sign that was there was financial difficulties even, or else the fact was he just wasn't paying people uh, in order to, the, the, just to save money. Is the people that were due money? These people wrote about. I think the whole thing for the hotel for it was about thirty odd thousand pounds as well. You know what I mean? Jeez, it's a lot of money. Family. It yeah. blows my mind. Care, you know? It absolutely blows my mind that this was eight years ago now, and I, I don't care what anyone says. He got away with it. He absolutely yeah. got away with it. You say what you like. You can tart it up. You can polish it up as much as you want. He got away with it. Incredible, Gordon. Before I let you go, because I'm aware you're on a, a bit of a time um, for this for the pod. Um, we're looking good going into the last couple of months of the season between now and May. How do you see things are going to pan out for Rangers this season? I think I think now, I think that the, the whole thing is uh, Rangers are, are so consistent this year in terms of results. That's the main thing about it. Even games that are not playing well. Last season what happened was you see a game not playing well and it ended up in a draw or a defeat. This year has been different. They've been winning games. They've got that lead and, and it's, it's equivalent to now Celtic need to win four games while Rangers are losing four games in terms of the point scenario. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm also wondering, guys, I don't know whether the scenario is, uh, see, Dubai, uh, see when you come back from Dubai, do you have to uh, isolate when you come <laughs> back from Dubai? Because <laughs> I'll see if you do. 
if you've got 10 days of isolation coming back from Dubai, that would mean Celtic can't play their next two games. Yeah. I don't know whether I don't know what the regulations are on it, but you know they've got two games cup. They got their game moved from Saturday to Monday in order that they could go to Dubai. I know that Hibs are now not too happy about it because they didn't realise why that game had been put back. But yeah. the thing about it is Rangers, Celtic, you know, maybe have turned it around a wee bit in terms of they're playing a bit better. They might start to get results, but it's just very important that Rangers realise what championship winning form is. It's just keeping that consistency going. And defensively, they've been tremendous. Uh, a lot of great performances from the guys at the back. And I just think that, you know, hopefully we're going to get Jack fit again. Roof fit again would be, uh, would be good if, he, if he's got a problem. Get Defoe back in the, in the squad and all that sort of thing. So I think the squad's there in order to take things forward. And, and uh, I'm quite confident that this year is going to be a league championship win. And I'd be, del- they'd be delighted if it is. Gordon, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, your time in the pod this week. I, I hope we can get you back on between now and the end of the season, if you can spare us another hour or so between now and the end of May. Certainly, um, Scott. It'll be a pleasure. It'll be a pleasure. I'm really pleased well. to have you back on. So the Old Firm game on, on Sunday past was, was an extremely poignant affair. Um, of course, 50-year anniversary of the, the tragic events of 1971 when... 66 Rangers supporters lost their lives uh, attending the their day old film game. Delighted to be joined on the pod by the club historian David Mason joins us. Hi David, thanks for coming on. Hi guys, yeah, pleased to be here. Yeah. So David, a, a, a hugely poignant affair uh, at, at the weekend as, you, as you'd expect. Um, I, I think COVID has kind of put paid to any plans the club had for as far as our remembrance is concerned. I felt the day passed um, quite well, everything was, was well enough observed. Uh, what's your thoughts on, on the way it went? I think so. I think you probably need to speak to the families individually to, to get their views in terms of how it went. But I think I think these things become very personal things for for the families, for the bereaved. Um, I think they would, the, the important thing for them would be to for it to be remembered. Uh, and I think in that sense, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of coverage by, obviously, by the club. We devoted the match day programme, of course, to it, um, and uh, various uh, uh, news items appeared in the media over over the weekend as well. So I think there was pretty good coverage and generally pretty decent coverage of it. Um, and I think it it probably would have been enough for the uh, the bereaved families to to see that and to show that it was still even fifty years on, it was still recognised. Um, you know, obviously it would have been nice to. To have, you know, as we did for the 40th, to have uh, uh, the stadium open to to the families as well, but but clearly it wasn't to be in this case. But I think the families themselves would be happy. But you really need to speak to them in that. Tommy, I watched something before the game on on Saturday, and I, I have to say that Sky done a really fantastic tribute um, to to the disaster. Derek Johnston was on the pod a couple of weeks ago, and I, I can quite vividly remember him speaking about how he felt in the changing room. Um, looking on the changing room floor and, and seeing the what was effectively body bags on the floor, he spoke about it very poignantly again um, at the weekend. It's it's a a huge tragedy for for our club, but I think for for Scottish society in general, it, it's a it's a day that will never ever be forgotten. No, no, it's uh, it won't be. Sorry, um, I think that's that's absolutely right in the coverage that the. The media was able to to produce with with Rangers support was absolutely phenomenal. Um, slightly disappointing that Scotland's own first minister couldn't make a, a comment. Yeah, it has been said, but let's not be let, let's not be churlish. I think the important thing to remember here is, and it is highly emotive and it is moving. And Derek Johnson, as you said, spoke incredibly um, from the heart when he was on the podcast. We can't bring the six back. We can replace the grief with their loved ones and you know and, and grief is a is a, a, a moment of remembrance you know you carry with you through the years but what we can do as a as a club and as a family roundabout rangers and as a support is remember what happened and not allow that to be forgotten and one of the good points if there are, is such a thing with such a tragedy which we can always point to in which gives some some hope to to the families as well is 
the sacrifice that were made on uh, on stairway on the stairway actually definitively tangibly led to safety measures throughout Europe, not just Scotland or UK, throughout Europe that meant that other young boys and girls going to see the game that they love got back home to their parents. Now that's not a bad legacy if you're going to get one. People got home on the sacrifices that were made by the 66 that didn't. Willie, I've, I've spoke previously about how the 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 disaster changed the way that, that guys like all of us football fans uh, around the around the country now I'm obviously particularly focusing on Rangers supporters the way that they go back and forth to the game has changed forever on the back of that one tragic afternoon. Absolutely, it's it's a sad kind of time a year you know when you remember what happened. I mean, my my dad was there at the game as well. He uh, you know he tells me stories about travelling. He used to travel up to Aberdeen and stuff like that himself at about 12, 13 year old. So. He used to tell me some of the kind of uh, stadiums that maybe had, you know, a lot of passing people going through the, the you know, the entrances and the kind of tight uh, exits and stuff. So, I mean, he was there on the day as well. He tells me the story. He was kind of heading towards their team. His, his friend says, Mom, we'll go down this one. This gate's a wee bit quieter. So they headed for, a, for another exit. And, I mean, you, you just never know, you know, like what could have happened and stuff. So that's kind of something my dad's always told me around about this time. A year as well. David, before we started, we were speaking about the the importance of Willie Waddle in, in the club's history. Uh, and I, I suggested that on occasion I sometimes feel like he's he's almost missed out. Um, his involvement that day um, was quite, uh, quite pivotal in how things sort of moved on from that afternoon. Yeah, I mean, what I've done over the years is I've, I've tried to understand as much as I can of what, what happened on the stairway, prior to the stairway, uh, inside the ground, you know, talking to the players, how they felt. Talking to Willie Waddle um, as well. I, I spoke to Willie Waddle about it, um, Willie Thornton. Um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've just tried to be like a sponge and get as much information as I can, just to get some understanding of it. But I think the thing that came through from everybody was just how important Willie Waddle was to the whole scenario from a Rangers point of view. It seemed almost as if the directors took a step back. You would really have to have them here to, to make comment on that. But I don't think there's any doubt uh, Willie Waddle really took control of things uh, uh, from the outset. He was that type of character. He was a, a leader. Um, and a guy who just went and got things done to a certain extent. That's why he ended up in the, the Rangers hot seat in the first place because he wasn't happy with the way the club was going. Uh, I've spoken to his family in the past about this as well, and and uh, he really wasn't particularly interested in going back to football when he when he joined Rangers, but he just felt that they had fallen uh, by the wayside, and it was his kind of duty to get them back. And I think in the in the day of disaster, you saw that as well. The way he really kind of asked for the Netherlands and just uh, and just thought we've got to get this sorted out. And uh, and he was really the he was the character around everybody uh, around uh, whom everybody rallied right, right through that uh, that few weeks afterwards, which were uh, devastating for everyone. So, David, after the the disaster, Ibrox was effectively redeveloped, um, and and we obviously know now. Um, that the the stadium is is built or based on or around the the Dortmund Stadium. What's what's your understanding about how that all developed? How did that happen? I think it's just happened quite quite simply by a by a statement that Willie Waddle made, or at least a feeling that that perpetuated through the club at that time was that this can't happen again. You know, we can't have this again. You know, we what had happened over the time, uh, and when I say over the time, I mean from the the time the stadium was built in eighteen ninety nine was that the stadium got bigger and bigger, the terraces got higher uh, and the construction was in the earth banks. You know, prior to that, they had timber, which precipitated the 1902 disaster, of course. So, obviously, when you've got a terrace that's going high then and you've got a limited land bank, then you end up with a steep staircase down the other side to get back out. Otherwise, you've got to take out each part of land. So, that's just the way football was at that time and all the arenas were the same way. And it just managed, and obviously, 
well, I don't know how many games were played there, uh, how many big events were played at, at Ibrooks, not just football, but other yeah. sporting games. But you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and without incident, but there was always a potential for something to happen there. And I, I think if it, the club decided, right, we can't have this anymore. We've got to ensure that people come to Ibrooks and are, are safe and comfortable. And it did coincide with uh, Germany, West Germany holding the World Cup. And they were building new stadia, and yeah. so the timing, the timing was good. But you know, there was a new design, a new design concept starting to emerge, and that's naturally where Willie Waddle looked, and of course looked at the Dortmund Westfalen Stadion as the as a model for Ibrox. So it fitted. Big decision in that, of course, as well, because we had Ibrox. It was it was capable of holding 120,000, of course, 118,000, uh, and 85,000 tickets sold for that Old Firm match. So automatically we had to cut the attendance to 44,000. So there was a big decision taken at that, but it showed that they weren't commercially driven, they were more driven by, by safety. How did you find, David, from, you, you've mentioned that you, you've had the, the conversations with, with Willie Waddle, obviously, previously. Um, how did the, the disaster affect him? He was at, at the coalface, if you like. He, he was right there. How, how did you find the, the, the disaster affected him with being right on the front line? Billy Waddle was a kind of dual character. Uh, I, I really liked him. Um, he he didn't spend as much time with his family as as he, he probably should have, and it's his family that have told me that as well. <laughs> because he had a real he had a real sense of duty, uh, you know, a real strong work ethic. Um, and I think that probably what happened there was that they didn't see him for long periods. That, that certainly was the, the, the feedback I had. He was very well, very, very heavily devoted to, to the club and to, to making things happen at the club. Um, but I think, you know, in talking, I never asked him how it impacted on him. But I would imagine, like everybody else who was closely involved at that time, it must have left a, a real deep scar with him. Yeah. Uh, I didn't speak to him a lot on it. It was just kind of brief uh, chats I had with him on it. But, uh, but, you know, because it's almost one of these situations where you, you didn't go too far in discussing these things with people. Yeah. Even Big big Derek, you know, you've got to kind of tread to, to find out whether they want to talk about it in the first instance, you know? Aye. Yeah. I, th- I think when we had um, Derek on, Tommy, he, he, he spoke about how he was young, sort of a bit wet around the ears and uh, fresh down for Dundee, and he was, he, it was something that he probably the last thing you, you obviously expect to see, but um, his input on, on the pod was 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 really um, important, it was poignant, and I, I think it, it kind of it made us all just sort of sit back and think, wow, that, that must have been absolutely horrendous to be Ibrox that day. Uh, yeah, to David's, to David's point, that's, you know, I didn't, I had to tread really lightly. As David says, you know, you have to leave, uh, leave it for the people who, who came through that. Uh, tragedy to talk about as much as they want, um, which is you know exactly what what Derek uh, Derek did. But just a, a question for yourself, David, uh, if you if you don't mind, I'm quite interested. Uh, you were talking there about Rangers, you know, made a, made an anti-commercial decision because they put supporters' lives and and uh, safety first, which is the right thing to do. And then they went out to to Dortmund and Germany and looked at the Westfalian Stadion and stuff like that as well. I'm quite interested though. Were you aware of any other clubs once the build was happening or once it had been completed coming to Rangers to then start to look at what we'd done with the stadium to enhance their own safety measures? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was quite a few uh, people came to iBooks and had a look at it. And uh, there was one, uh, who was it? Was it Shankly, in fact? There was certainly one of the one of the notable gentlemen around the time had come to iBooks and thought, this is magnificent. This is the way every football ground should be. And even when the Taylor report was being prepared, Ibrox was was highlighted as one of the, the special stadia that others should try and emulate. You know, so it did it did really kind of set set standards. It's it's tragic that it should have arisen in the circumstances it did. Uh, it's right to say, as I think you mentioned at the the beginning, uh, that um, that it is the legacy to the people who have gone. You know, there's no no question of that. Nobody would have wanted that to happen. And uh, even, uh, you know, that it has resulted in such a, a magnificent stadium. But times move on. And I think we had moved from a, a, a Victorian era 
the football grounds were a certain stage and things had to, to change. And I think that was a big, big decision that the club were probably forced into after the Ibrox disaster. And it's worked out well. Everybody's proud of this team the way it is, but uh, just, just tragic that it, it, uh, it was caused by, uh, by, by that disaster. Well, I yeah. think the other thing I was, Sorry, the other thing I was going to say, yeah, just briefly, uh, just talking about Derek and how the impact I had on people, and, and it's something I've always thought about. You know, we're talking about Derek, who was 17, Derek Parlayam was 17, Alfie Cohen, about the same age. Uh, a lot of people Gus McCallum, one boy. Um, a whole stream of young players we had at that time. If that had happened in, in recent times, all these players would have been subject to some kind of counselling. Absolutely. You know, because you couldn't, you know, you're throwing young guys who, probably a lot of these guys have never even been at a funeral, but you know what it's like when you go to a funeral, funeral yourself, you go there, you don't want to be seen particularly because you've got your emotions to run through, but they're going there and everybody wants to see them, everybody's looking at them and there's a kind of expectation of them as well. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's understandable why it's left a scar and I can see it. Anytime I talk to the guys, and particularly John Gregg, I would say, above all, who gets who just completely changes, I can see um, whenever you you discuss it with them at all, they just get very, very quiet, yeah. very focused. Willie, I want to speak that that part of the ground is is a a place that we all know know very well. I think the the one thing that sort of sticks in my mind, if you're ever at Ibrox and you're walking around that that part of the stadium. Um, there's all there's always an eeriness around it. I always feel you're kind of you're you're looking at that area and you're thinking, wow, um, it's incredible to think that that happened there. I I think it's a it's a stark reminder of how how safe we are going back and forward to football games nowadays. No, absolutely. I think uh, I used to take the subway um, to the games when I used to go up, and you kind of. I don't know, you kind of pause for a wee second and, and just think about what happened there as well. Um, you know, it's, 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 I've kind of lost all what's in to say, to be totally honest with areas, but um, it's just a kind of, as you said, it's kind of eerie and it's just got a sadness really like, when you really think about what's happened there. I, I think the one thing I would say is that um, it bears no resemblance whatsoever to how it was, you know, Absolutely, that, yeah. that, was the, that was the entrance I always went into, uh, and apart from, obviously, uh, Harrison Drive and around Kerry, um, apart from these areas, once you get into the precincts of the stadium, it's completely changed, and then the levels have changed, because all that, all that material from the terracing has been used and planned out, so it's lifted a good few metres above the, the position it was. I can take myself back there looking at the photographs. I can imagine it vividly. Uh, you know, you come down the staircase and we over on the left-hand side, there was a toilets over there. They were just open your toilets. There was, there was no roof on them, whatever. Um, and then you'd row of turnstiles. But it's very hard when, when I, even, you know, given that I knew that area pretty well, it's very hard for me to, to visualise. But what I did do fairly recently was I, I superimposed the old ground on top of the current, and uh, I, I could see exactly where the disaster was, and it coincides with the parking space is just right outside the shop, so that's the bit you really want to, you know, just go and stand there, and you're probably standing just at the, the location where a lot of people died. David, previously in the pod we've had uh, Greg Marshall and, and Natalie Nairnon, who, who spoke a little bit about the the sort of always remembered campaign on, on the run-up to to the 2nd of January past there. They've also spoke a little bit about the, the plans for the forthcoming couple of years, 150th year anniversary, etc. Um, and the Memorial Garden um, was mentioned. Could you give us just a little update as, as best as you can as, as to where we are on that? Yeah, I think the I think Memorial Garden is, is, is well advanced. The plan has been designed effectively. The location has uh, still got to be finalised. We've just a bit got it. You know, it's... it's it's, um, it's not going to be exactly at the, the position of the disaster. It'll be obviously at that end of the, the ground. Um, um, it's not intended to be the memorial garden for the, for the 71 disaster. Um, we've had various other instances, various other people have died in the ground in different circumstances. And I think the club felt it was important to have a, a quiet place near the ground where people could come and remember, whether it's 
you know, their own family connected with the disaster or, or otherwise. There will obviously be a, a fairly strong element of it will be directed to the 71 disaster, the guys died in 61 and, and uh, 1902 as well. Um, but it will be, it will be tasteful. Um, I, I, I'm involved in that project. I have been involved in it for a while. And I think fans will be happy with it when they see it. Ideal. David, I don't have anything else for you, so I'm, I'm, I'm keen to, to, to let you pass on. I, I really appreciate you coming on the pod. Um, be keen to have you back on, indeed, to, to give us an update on the Memorial Garden as, as that time passes. Tommy, Willie, I don't know if you have anything else for, for David before we let him disappear. Just just one very quick question, actually, uh, and I, you know, I, I think it's absolutely what David says there, that it's it's important to to be respectful and look and look back and understand, you know, the tragedy. Um, it's really equally as important to be um, prideful of where the club currently is in the stadium and the changes that were made off the back of that and be confident about where the club's going in the future. I'm just interested, in terms of the Memorial Garden, I know it's not just predicated on the uh, on a single uh, single incident or disaster. Will that also be, do you think, or some of that reflected as well in the museum that's currently being built uh, or will be built uh, in the old um, ticketing uh, office, pools office? Yeah, I've been involved in the museum as well, and uh, the plans are really well advanced, and we're probably ahead of where we expected to be at this time. It's basically been designed out. Um, already selected a lot of the items that's got to go in. You know, there will be a, um, a request to, to fans to, to come up with other items if they've got anything that's uh, that's different from what we have. Um, there'll be changes taking place as well, but clearly part of it will focus on the stadium. You know, all the stadium we've had into iBooks and then of course uh, talking about this, the story of the disaster as well. So I think, uh, I think the fans will be delighted with uh, the museum. It looks it looks fabulous. I've seen the visuals and it's, it's something I hopefully they'll be they'll be very proud of. Look forward to seeing that. Absolutely. David, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Uh, uh, great great for you to join us tonight. Thank you very much. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks guys. Tommy. Thanks for being Tommy nice Willie, thanks for thanks for for having us on. I appreciate we would usually sort of end with saying where we get all our stuff. I think we everyone knows where you can get it if you want to access it, um, access it on all the usual forums as you can. I think I'd just like to to finally say to the sixty six, you'll never be forgotten. <laughs>